PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where board setting continues to be enjoyable. Remember, this is the number one board review podcast in emergency medicine. We just made up that ranking, but we think we're number one. And it clearly shows based on our analytics and podcast data. So thanks for listening. For each 15-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the stems and stay for the content. My name is Blake Briggs. I'm the co-founder, co-host of this shindig. And I'm also an assistant professor at the University of South Alabama, brand new emergency medicine program decided to be a part of the program we have a really awesome brand new emergency department that's being built and that is exciting our residents are excited the hospitals excited the patients are excited really everyone's excited should be fireworks when it opens Uh, probably not but that'll be cool if there were you can sign up on our website for free updates and episode printed handouts free review quizzes to test your knowledge on topics and you can get all this awesome stuff at emboardbombs.com you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at EM Board Bombs. Feel free to, if you're going to follow EM Board Bombs, actually you should follow the University of South Alabama Emergency Department handle at South Emergency. They also post pretty awesome stuff about patient care. If you're a med student, check us out. And uh, we're going to hit this topic today. I'm actually flying solo today. Uh, Dr. Hussain couldn't join us. He's actually giving a lecture at a local university. So he was actually invited to speak of the importance of the Oxford comma. So he's actually traveling to uh, comma, give a presentation on the Oxford comma and the importance of its necessity in journal publications in medicine. So comma, let's dive right in. You got a 50 year old male presenting to the ED with left knee pain. He states he was excited for the return of the NFL comma. So he went out outside to play with the neighbors. Unfortunately, comma, he got into a huge argument with a Tom Brady fan about his move to Tampa Bay and even worse, of all tragedies, <laughs> the game ended in a tie. This resulted in a large brawl in the mud outside. So the man presents to the ED a couple days later with a swollen red knee. It is warm and tender to touch, comma, and has decreased range of motion. His vitals are as follows. Heart rate 101, temperature 38 Celsius, blood pressure normal. The x-ray that we did shows a joint effusion. When you ask him how it happened, he only shakes his head muttering, quote, ties are just un-American, quote. Which of the following is true? Choice A, hematogenous seeding is the most common cause of this condition. Choice B, a negative C-reactive protein effectively rules out this condition. Choice C, blood cultures are typically diagnostic for the causative organism. Choice D, antibiotic therapy for seven days is appropriate. And the correct answer is... Choice A, hematogenous seeding is the most common cause. We're talking about septic arthritis today. We have an awesome handout on our website of septic arthritis, so take a look at it if you want and compare, contrast with the podcast today and the question we just did. But everything we talk about today should help you answer this question and should help you cover the basics of septic arthritis. So obviously septic arthritis is infection in a joint. Bacteria are the most common cause. And in 2012, when it was last measured, comma, 
I'll stop doing that soon. Septic arthritis was responsible for 15,000 ED visits, which is a good amount. So the risks are pretty obvious here. Age is going to be a risk factor, especially greater than 50 years old. Any joint hardware or recent manipulation or any pre-existing joint disease. So rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, gout, pseudogout, Charcot arthropathy, if you're diabetic especially. So interesting enough, intraarticular injections, you know, like steroid injections or any other type of therapies, manipulations by sports med or orthopedics, is a very uncommon cause. It's really only due to very unsafe non-sterile techniques. So hematogenous seeding is the most common cause by far. Much less commonly, there is a uh, contiguous spread, you know, from the bone itself if it's infected or the skin surface overlying it, right? If there's an open wound or in the case of the foot, right, or joint area, you can get transfer of that bacteria from the outside to deep ulcerative wounds, especially in diabetics. We also have a handout on the website for diabetic foot infections. You can take a look at that. So there's really no basement membrane here in the joint space, right? So in the synovial capsule itself. So there's free range of bacteria to enter the synovial membrane and just wreak havoc in the joint capsule and move around the joint fluid. Large joints are the most commonly affected. So the knee is going to be the most common joint overall in the body. And it's involved actually in more than 50% of all septic arthritis cases. In 20% of patients, two or three joints could be involved. So again, the majority of cases are going to be monoarticular. Axial joint infections, they are classically seen in the unfortunate people who uh, use IV drugs, and that's going to be the classic stem and classic presentation of those patients. In terms of organisms, Staph aureus is the most common bug. Infections are typically monomicrobial as well. So let's summarize what we got so far. We got the knee as the most common joint. We have a single joint as the most common and the most common bug is the return of everyone's favorite little skin flora bug, Staph aureus. Here's Johnny! <laughs> All right, time for a good board pearl. In those sexually active, and especially on board exams, they're always going to be less than 30 years old. The cause is going to be Neisseria gonorrhea. We did a podcast on this actually months ago. It's episode 56, Tinder Swipe for Gonorrhea. So take a listen to that, and uh, you know we'll make you up to date more on gonococcal arthritis. We're not going to focus on that today at all. There are unique bugs that cause specific classic epidemiologic septic arthritis cases. You got to be familiar with them. So in those that uh, use IV drugs uh, or those that are immunosuppressed, uh, pseudomonas actually is a very scary cause of septic arthritis. In those with penetrating wounds to the joint, you got to think about polymicrobial species, plus or minus anaerobes. And finally, the ultimate board pearl of the day here, if there was some sort of zoonotic exposure, like unpasteurized milk, uh, slaughterhouses, that sort of thing, <laughs> laughing because of how classic these things are, but you just never see them. Uh, Brucella is going to be the bug for that. And then one last one here, tying it all in to previous podcasts as well. We've done multiple podcasts on sickle cell disease. Remember your unique encapsulated and special bugs for sickle cell anemia. So E. coli and salmonella are going to be two unique causes for sickle cell septic arthritis. Salmonella especially is going to be the most common cause on the boards, at least, of osteomyelitis and sickle cell disease. So let's talk about the presentation. So you could easily name the presentation here. It's joint pain, warmth, swelling, and a reduced range of motion in like 80% of patients. So it's fairly obvious in the physical exam that something's going on. 
However, older patients may not have a fever at all, and it might be more, uh, how do I put it, smoldering. is our famous word we have on other podcasts. So what's the workup? You're going to get a white blood cell count because people are going to tell you to. ESR and CRP, they're commonly elevated, all of them. You might have a leukocytosis, but they're nonspecific, as we all know, right? So negative markers do not rule out septic arthritis. Again, getting on my soapbox, a leukocytosis really doesn't change anything in terms of your workup if you're concerned about something. So x-rays should be performed, especially if there is recent manipulation or surgery of the joint involved. But for those of you who are big ultrasound fanatics and big fans of ultrasound like myself, you all know that ultrasound is more sensitive for joint effusions in general than x-rays. So if you're still concerned the x-ray didn't really show anything, throw a probe on it and take a look and look for any obvious joint effusion. So blood cultures, when you get them, if you do get them, you're working up these patients and concerned for sepsis, they're only positive in about 50% of cases. So you're going to have to do more than that. The money is in the arthrocentesis. You're going to perform an arthrocentesis prior to antibiotics. You're going to have certain joints that require radiographic assistance, such as the hip or sacroiliac joint. That's outside the scope of this podcast. And outside the scope as being an emergency medicine doc, you're going to call for help on that one. You're going to send the fluid uh, that you get from your arthrocentesis for gram standing culture, a cell count with differential, and a crystal assessment with polarizing microscope. We have a handout on the website for gout. There's a recurring theme here. It sounds like we have handouts and podcasts for like every topic now, which is truly fantastic. So take a look at our website when you're wanting to look up these several different topics. Let's summarize the key findings here for synovial fluid. If you have greater than 50,000 white blood cells with mostly neutrophils, that's your diagnosis. You're done. You're going to be treat for septic arthritis. The gram stain is only positive in about 30 to 50% of cases. And the synovial fluid culture is positive in, a, in around 60% of patients with non-gonococcal arthritis. For gonococcal arthritis, it's abysmally low. <laughs> so what I'm getting at here is that the white blood cell count is the most important part of here from the synovial fluid, not the serum white blood cell count. You'll never hear me say that, <laughs> that a serum leukocytosis is critical to the diagnosis of infection. That's insane. But the synovial white blood cell count is critical here. Because that's going to be the one that's going to be the most helpful. Because I just said your gram stain is really not that good. The synovial fluid culture takes, you know, over 24 hours and it's not that good. And blood cultures are really not that good. So you're stuck. So cultures are no help in the majority of cases due to the organisms being, one, you know, they're always going to be staph aureus in a typical patient. But in rare cases, they might, might grow strange, less common organisms. And, for example, for Neisseria, gonorrhea. Nucleic acid amplification is preferred in those cases because of the abysmally low success rate of cultures. Again, check out our podcast on gonococcal arthritis. So what if the effusion is hemorrhagic? So the most common cause of a joint effusion that is hemorrhagic is trauma, followed by coagulopathy, followed by neoplasm. Now, the key differential diagnoses here of septic arthritis would, like I said, be a traumatic hemorrhagic arthritis, where you would have bloody synovial fluid with a history of trauma. This guy could have that, right? However, he has warmth, tenderness, and a fever, which is concerning for septic arthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis can also cause joint effusions, and they're usually symmetric. They're usually very, very close to mimicking septic arthritis. We'll get back to that in a minute. Gout or pseudogout can also mimic septic arthritis. Um, usually the case here in the history where the patient would have prior attacks, the location is going to be the first metatarsal joint location. There's usually tophides, usually crystals on the synovial fluid, which is really the key here. 
reactive arthritis, which used to be writer's arthritis, but we all hate Nazis, so we're not going to call that writer's arthritis anymore. And typically with reactive arthritis, you're going to see GU or GI symptoms, conjunctivitis, skin lesions, that sort of thing. And of course, a low white count in the synovium for reactive arthritis. White blood cell count greater than 2,000 does suggest inflammation overall. I know I said greater than 50,000 is the diagnosis, but it's never that easy in life, right? What if you have, you know, 40,000 or 30,000? You should have a high index of suspicion and really take those case by case. On the boards, it's never going to be that awkwardly borderline lab, right? So you're going to look for crystals in the synovial fluid, but here's the catch. If you have crystals that are positive concerning for gout or pseudogout, and the gram stain is positive, the patient can easily have both. You need to treat for both. What are less common causes of infection in the joint? Well, you could have septic bursitis, you could have Lyme disease, you could have viral causes like chikungunya or dengue or Zika, way outside the scope of this podcast and probably not going to be on your board. That's a little bit insane. Septic bursitis will though, and that is treated a little bit differently and requires its own podcast. So we're not going to talk about it. (laughs) I don't want to get into that today. What's the treatment? Well, you're going to drain the joint. You've got to consider the joint space an abscess, right? And you're going to drain that as best you can by removing fluid for the patient, making them more comfortable as well. And then you're going to discuss talking to orthopedics. So who needs surgery? Well, that's when the drainage is not achieved at bedside. Uh, when you have penetrating trauma with residual foreign body, obviously, and a joint effusion that persists days after aspiration antibiotics. So failure of medical therapy. The antibiotics here, go big or go home early on. So if you have gram-positive suspicion, in general, the vast majority of patients were worried about gram-positive, you're going to do vancomycin. If you then can narrow it down to MSSA, you're going to use cefazolin or nafcillin or oxacillin. If it's MRSA, then we just start with vanc and go from there. But other antibiotics that cover would be daptomycin, linezolid, and clindamycin. In some cases, remember, clindamycin only has about 70% MRSA coverage, so don't be fooled that it can treat all MRSA. If you're worried about gram-negative, like Neisseria or other bugs, like E. coli, you're going to order ceftriaxone or cefotaxime or ceftazidime or cefepime or any one of those C names that (laughs) they all have uh, lovely, awful names uh, that you had to learn as a med student. They're horrible. So the initial antibiotic regimen should be tailored to the culture and susceptibility results when they are available, right? The time course of treatment here, so for patients with septic arthritis due to staph aureus with bacteremia, but no evidence of endocarditis or osteomyelitis, you're going to do four weeks. So what's mortality here, prognosis? Well, it's only 3% mortality, and it's higher morbidity than people think, mainly for older patients, mainly for those with comorbidities like diabetes and rheumatoid arthritis. Actually, in one study, they showed that polyarticular septic arthritis, when you have multiple joints involved, again, not that common, only about 20 or 30% of patients, uh, they have a mortality upwards of 50,000. That's insane. But in that case, you know, we're assuming that, okay, if it's spread to multiple joints, then they likely have a higher rate of endocarditis. And we all know higher rates of endocarditis equals higher rates of badness happening to the patient. There was also a study they showed that, the, again, the big adverse prognostic factors is age and pre-existing joint disease. Again, the outcome of septic arthritis and people who inject drugs, much worse. Again, you can imagine here, higher rates of endocarditis, higher rates of osteomyelitis, 
and the axial joints are involved more, making the difficulty in draining some of these joints. In a nationwide series they did here of septic knees, the proportion of patients with injection drug user-related septic arthritis, that increased from 2000 to 2013, it doubled from 5% to over 11%. Again, just giving you some numbers here. You don't need to memorize them. But keep in mind that the biggest risk factor populations are going to be the IV drug users. We all know that. And older patients, we sort of know that. And people with RA and osteoarthritis. Perhaps the biggest take-home message here, and this is going to be your life pearl, especially for younger docs and students, is that when you have a patient with pre-existing joint disease like rheumatoid arthritis, and they come in with new onset joint swelling, don't dismiss that just as their chronic disease. You should always get an arthrocentesis. You should always investigate for septic arthritis. And this is a key example here why. They have worse outcomes, and they usually have a delayed diagnosis as well. And people often dismiss their presentation as, oh, it's just an RA exacerbation. Send them home, follow up outpatient, give them some steroids. Not going to help here. Not a good idea. All right. That's all we got time for today. So that's another board bomb delivered, comma. <laughs> Remember, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle, comma, is at EMBoardBombs. I'm just throwing commas wherever I want now. That's the use of Oxford comma, right? You can also find us on Instagram at EMBoardBombs. Drop us an Apple review. These reviews really help us, and we would greatly appreciate it. If there is a particular topic you want, let us know in the review. And we'll see you next time for more action. Peace.